Alright, what is up everyone and welcome to episode 41 of the Browns Note Podcast. This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. And this is the post-draft edition. I know it is uh, a tad more than a day or two post-draft. I like to think that gave you some time to absorb everything that happened over the draft season and really study the draft picks when in reality what we're actually telling you is, well, I was buried in my real life in a, uh, in a four-week jury trial and um, there have been some other events around the podcast that have caused us to sort of have to shuffle schedules and all that. But at the end of the day, I wanted to make sure I had some idea of what I was talking about before we came back on here and gave our guests a little time to study up on the multitude of picks that our Cleveland Browns made in the 2016 draft. And I'd start there. To me, that's the story of the draft is sort of just sheer quantity. Um, You know, the new regime came in clearly with a plan to do a couple of things, address wide receiver, stockpile a ton of draft picks for the current and future drafts. And I think draft picks throughout the draft, obviously there are some pretty valuable high picks coming in in 2017 and 2018 yet that will allow them to maneuver for important things like quarterbacks. But at the same time, you saw, (coughs) excuse me, getting over a little thing here as well. You saw in the draft how, the the ability to have multiple picks both you know throughout the middle rounds the third fourth fifth the browns just had so many picks that they were allowed to really go after aggressively some things that clearly they wanted um (laughs) referring back yet again to the wide receiver but also to just athletes in general they went out and got a bunch of players that were productive um, team pro football focus for sure this time so we we know at the very least that they value a productivity we know, as Pete Smith will tell you in this uh, discussion here shortly, that they value athleticism, at least at the top of the draft. Um, and then they value opportunities, right? They want as many picks as they can in those, uh, in those value rounds. And it seems like they, they, you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't have a great sense yet of what they're looking to do on either side of the ball, uh, other than it seems to me they're going to throw it a lot. Um, and and throw it to guys who can do things with it, catching it quickly. Uh, They're going to throw some bombs because they got a couple of guys that can do it in this draft, uh, and they've got a a quarterback that can do it. I think that's one of Griffin's stronger points is he'll lay it up there and let a guy go get it. He really understands how to throw that ball. Um, But there's a lot of raw. They cut Brian Hartline, no great loss in my opinion, but at the same time, um, not a lot in the way of experience when you consider that as of today – Terrell Pryor is like the second or third most experienced NFL receiver on the roster. So let's let's look at that and think, hmm, it's going to get interesting. Didn't address the running back. I was surprised. They barely addressed tight end and did it with a guy who's clearly a receiver um, first and foremost. So really interesting. Uh, on, on the defensive side of the ball, there were some guys I was looking for. Didn't get any of them, but the ones they did get are all guys that, that produced and in a couple of cases were a lot of fun to watch. So anyway... Looking forward to seeing how it all shapes up, and uh, I went over each pick in this conversation with our friend Pete Smith. He'll, uh, he'll have great detail on each guy that I don't have. I'll just tell you I'm not as studied up as I like to be this time of year. Uh, as I said, it's been a busy, busy year out here in the real world. But, um, and also, frankly, when you go 3-13 and 13 and all that every other year, it just gets old. But here we are, a new draft season, a new regime. Optimism abounds, or at least for the moment. Here's Pete Smith talking Browns draft 2016. Hope you enjoy.
All right, excited now to talk with our old friend Pete Smith, who you can and should be following on Twitter, at underscore Pete Smith underscore. He's a contributor at Draft Breakdown and NFL Spin Zone, and uh, he's doing some coaching there in Ohio, and uh, you all should be following, and uh, not just the Twitter, but all the work. There's a piece out today on uh, the tight end position for the Browns. He's obviously a frequent, frequent contributor to this show, and we're glad to talk to him again. How's it going, Pete? Good. Always, always happy to be back on the critically acclaimed uh, sickness podcast. <laughs> yes, it is so critically acclaimed. It, it's <laughs> by, by my own critique. Um, let's talk draft. Cleveland Browns draft. Obviously, it was an active one and a plentiful one. Uh, sort of, obviously, a, a nice wide variety of of opinions on on the draft as a whole and on each individual pick. I'll just, you know, my basic observations, obviously they were dissatisfied with the state of the wide receiver position. Obviously they noticed that defensive line needed some depth and some talent. And obviously uh, there are going to be a few more holes. But, you know, they took some shots on some guys that were really productive. Obviously it's the uh, it's the all pro football focus team. I don't know if anybody's gotten a chance yet to see. I'm sure some of you have, but they did. Uh, a recent, and it may have even been as recent as today, but there was a, a piece that they put out that talks about the overall offseason grade, and they really liked the draft, and, and they started talking about the, the values that Pro Football Focus gave them. And, I, you know, I don't mean to suddenly start focusing all on Pro Football Focus, but I did find it kind of interesting that, that this was so prevalent a theme and so consistently something that you could point to and go, okay, well, obviously these guys have some shared values with whatever's going on at Pro Football Focus. And the picks in particular they talked about, uh, Rashard Higgins at, at, is their number 40 prospect. They had Corey Coleman at their number nine. Um, Wright was their number 71. Schobert was their number 74. Drango was their number 107. Jordan Payton was their number 118. And I know that was a guy that you and I both talked about pre-draft that we thought um, was going to have a chance to make a splash in the league. Not a huge splash, but be a productive player in the league. Um, so just generally, before we start digging into the players, what did you take out of this draft in terms of things that you can conclude about this new Browns regime and what their draft philosophy is going to be, other than, obviously, um, stockpile tons of picks in those mid-rounds? Uh, I mean, you mentioned the pro football focus thing. I mean, that just the Browns have basically admitted that they want super productive guys, but if you want to get to an athletic trait level, uh, you when you dig into it, they took a lot of really, really explosive guys. Uh, Kelly Coleman, uh, one of the top explosion guys in the draft. Uh, Ricardo Lewis, really explosive. Emmanuel Ogba, really explosive. Uh, and uh, set the ball really explosive, like guys that you know tested well on the forty vertical and broad jump, those type of things. They took a ton of those type of guys. Whether that proves to be a uh, a real trend or just sort of a happenstance this year, we'll see. But that is the one physical trait that sort of jumped out from this class. If you're going to try to dig into it, but overall, yeah, I mean, production was interesting. Obviously, the receiver thing is is fascinating, which sort of suggests they are going to use a ton of receivers uh, as opposed to years past, and they're going to sort of change, uh, sort of reimagine the tight end relative to this offense. 
Yep, that all makes sense to me. You know, the, let, we might as well start with the wide receivers since they did draft just so darn many of them. Obviously, Coleman was the team's first pick. And, and yeah, actually, let's start with this. The trade's down in the first round because obviously that is at least as big a portion of this draft as the players that they're drafting in because it's it's it allowed them number one to continue to stock up in this draft but it put them in a position to control to a large degree maybe even the next two drafts and so we'll see how that all shakes out but obviously there's the question to be answered at some point in this year or in the coming years about who the quarterback's going to be um, and obviously they've taken a couple of I'm going to stop saying obviously but they've taken a couple of shots at it here in the early going with obviously <laughs> with obviously I'm just going to slap myself from here on out when you get repetitive like that. But they signed RG3. They drafted Cody Kessler, who I don't assume anyone is going to expect to become the starting quarterback. And so it would seem to me that there's going to be that question lingering out there when we get to it next year. Um, but the wide receiver room, they clearly went about attempting to address right now and almost in clean sweep fashion as we find out today that, uh, that Brian Hartline is no longer on the team. He's been released. And so this comes as good a time as any to start talking about this wide receiver room. I mean, it, it is evident that it will be extremely inexperienced at most. Um, you look at Corey Coleman, you're, you're talking about Andrew Hawkins and Taylor Gabriel, and I can't assume that both of those guys are going to make it so far as the roster. Uh, and I could fro probably make the case if somebody shoved me down the road just a little bit that neither of them might might make the roster. So... You talk about Coleman, Ricardo Lewis, who was sort of an unknown to me. I remembered a play or two. Jordan Payton's a guy I really like. Uh, and then Rashard Higgins, to me, is sort of the guy that might be the, the, the sort of quote-unquote diamond in the rough because he's a guy that was awfully, awfully good at Colorado State. Tell me your thoughts on that wide receiver class and its impact on the team overall. Well, first, if you go back to the trade, the – the way the picks laid out were the absolute worst scenario for the Browns. If you wanted somebody at eight, I specifically was hoping to to get DeForest Buckner, which I had to get teased at seven. But when Zeke Elliott went fourth off the board, the Browns were screwed because the Jags. That was Jalen Ramsey was their guy. So if if the Cowboys had taken Ramsey, there may have been a possibility. I don't know if this was discussed or not. It made a lot of sense to me to trade up to five to get Buckner, like Buckner. Uh, so it sort of worked out the perfect storm to have nobody that you really wanted. I mean, Bosa at three was a bit of a surprise. Uh, but So it worked out great in terms of trading down. There was a, there was no real satisfying option there. So that was great. But yeah, you got to assume it would have been the tackle, uh, one of the tackles at that point, right? Uh, I mean, and, and then you had the whole football thing going on. So right. Right. You know, it's it, it just crazy. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I would assume it would have been either Tunstall or one of those guys. And, and at that point, you sort of, I mean, you're going, yeah, Tunstall's really good, but uh, certainly not the feeling you want to have after you take the player. So then you get to Corey Coleman. And initially, it seemed a little confusing to take Coleman. But then as the draft sort of unwrapped, it became clear what the Browns were going to do. They, they, everything suggests they're going to run spread offense. Uh, whether it's because of RG3, and everything suggests this is RG's three seed. It just, that's just what they're going to do. Cody Kessler, he's the third string guy at best. Uh, 
So, you know, whether they said we're going to do spread or whether they said, hey, we got RG3, so we should run spread, I don't know, but that seems to be what they're doing. So you divide the receivers up into two categories. You got the outright burners, which are Corey Coleman and Ricardo Lewis, both incredibly raw. Lewis even more so than Coleman, both incredibly athletic. Uh, Coleman, uh, one of the fastest players in the draft, you actually look at Lewis from a physical standpoint, he compares to Des Bryant. Like, actual physically, same size, same weight, a lot of the same characteristics. That doesn't mean he's going to be him, but just from a pure athletic standpoint, you've got to love what he offers. The problem is he has no idea what he's doing as a receiver, and it's, you know Auburn doesn't care. They run like three routes. It's, they don't really ask any precision. They just want to go as fast well, as possible. Well, and let me pause you there. Pete, because this this begs a question to me, and I'm going to hand it back to you to finish on these wide receivers. But when you say that and you talk about the implications about running spread, and I think back to what I've seen with Hugh Jackson, it just seems to me that the overriding philosophy this year, at least on offense, is going to be get the ball the hell out of the quarterback. And I agree with you. I think it'll be Griffin barring either his injury or total incapacity to handle the offense. Um, it'll, the, the philosophy is going to be get the ball the hell out of Robert Griffin's hand and into the hand of somebody who can make a play with it. And from that standpoint, running spread and drafting guys like Ricardo Lewis and Corey Coleman and being ready to get it to Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell and, and, and even adding a guy like Devolve, like you said, in the fourth round, if they can keep him healthy enough to be on the field, suddenly you start to see the looks of an offense who can make you pay if you don't properly handle your defensive assignments. And the, the question with Coleman and the whole talking about him being out of shape thing, which, by the way, isn't a big deal, it does make you wonder if the, if the ultimate goal here is tempo, if they want to try to you know run people off the field a little bit or at least have that as an option. But Coleman and, and Lewis are your deep guys, and that's just what they're going to be. Certainly Coleman is going to give you options as far as screens and to get the ball in his hands and let him run, like you mentioned, he's you know he's phenomenal as far as an athlete. Uh, he's a guy who you know, as opposed to Will, Will, you know, Fuller, who I thought was incredibly overrated. I thought Houston made a pretty stupid pick there. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But rel- relative to him, where he's only a deep threat, Coleman's a guy you can get the ball to him at you know a screen and he can take it eighty, or he can run down the field and, and make a big play. So I mean, I think the, the difference between those two players is substantial. Then the other category of receivers, you get into uh, Jordan Payton and and Rashard Higgins, who are super polished, super experienced. Both both guys block. Uh, Both guys get after it. Uh, Very smart players. Higgins is very unorthodox in terms of how he runs routes and super slippery. He gets everything out of his relatively average athleticism. But if you're talking about a team that's going to run screens and stuff, those are probably two of the best guys to get out and lead block and try to set some things up. I mean, I'm, you've seen it at UCLA with Peyton. He's a really good blocker. Higgins is actually more effective than you think he would be. They're like the perfect guys. And then you can tab them as, as possession guys that you want. Uh, what I'm going to be curious about this year is what happens on third down and what happens in red zone when they need a play. Because if, if Coleman and, and guys like Coleman and Lewis are sort of raw, I mean, obviously Barnage is your big threat. I would not be surprised if you start seeing guys like Higgins and, and Peyton in those situations. Because I, they I know agree how to with get you. Open. 
I agree with you completely. If there's one thing I'm confident that Jordan Payton can do, it is make plays in small, tight, contested areas. He's good at it. And I, I assumed all along that that was part of why they drafted him in particular is you can, you can jam it in there to him. And he's gonna, he knows how to use his body, and he, he's, got a, he's got good size and good speed. He's not going to you know, blow any way, anybody away in any particular number. But when it comes right down to it, he tested pretty darn well, and his play was effective. So I'm, I'm actually really excited about, about what they did there in the fifth round, no less. Peyton strikes me as the guy who has eight catches for 113 yards that you can't remember a single catch. He's just that guy who's going to sneak, just kill you with those really effective, smart plays. Because if you watch my tape, he's boring. Boring in the greatest way possible because he just does it right. He knows how to get open. He makes one guy miss. He doesn't, you know, he just does a lot of smart things. And, you know, a lot of guys will be down on him. And like I said, humble position receiver for one. He gets open, he catches the ball. And, and when you need a play, I'd be very curious to see if he's not a guy who, who finds himself getting his number called because he can do that. And that's just too important in those things where Coleman and some of those other guys just aren't ready for that. And tell me what you make of Devolve, because here's a guy with unbelievable athleticism at the tight end position. Obviously, we've seen that in the past. Jordan Cameron was a hell of an athlete for that position. Um, I, I, I don't even know so much that they're comparable. I, I, Cameron had a couple of things he could do pretty well. This, this Devolve guy from a football athleticism perspective is something else. Uh, on the other hand, he has not been able to stay healthy, at least as I understand it. And quite frankly, Pete, in what highlights and, and game tape that I could actually dig up on, on this Ivy Leaguer, it was evident immediately that he was way too good an athlete for the Ivy League. And so at least from that perspective, it's kind of hard to gauge what it's going to look like when he's going up against real football players. Tell me, and that's not to denigrate the Ivy League, but let's be real about what we're talking about going from Saturday at Princeton to Sunday in Cleveland. Talk to me about that tight end position, and if you would, go ahead and sprinkle in some of the, some of the stuff that you used in your, in your um, NFL spin zone piece today. So, Devolve has missed time twice uh, with surgeries to correct both play issues that were from birth. I have seen, but have been unable to confirm any of these so-called knee issues thrown around uh, that I, I've seen some prominent people suggest that were trying to scaremonger. Or maybe it, and it's possible they heard this and you know from a reliable source. The idea that Devolve would never play, see the field. I mean, all all anyone's able to confirm is he's had two foot surgeries. They knew he was going to have these foot surgeries. It had nothing to do with being hurt. Now, getting to the getting to his athletic skill. If you go and look at the athletic uh, comparables, he is basically uh, almost identical. I think he's a little more uh, advanced in change of directions and maybe not quite as explosive. It's either one or the other to Aaron Hernandez coming out of Florida. And let's make it clear that is strictly an athletic comparison. (laughs) Yeah. You sit, you know, he's in that six to and change two forty-five. is exactly what was. He's very athletic. He's, he's strong, explosive. God knows you can find the YouTube of him working out. He looks great. Um, Ivy, the Ivy League is improving in terms of talent, but he, he's a man that gets boys. He just was. Uh, you know, people were calling him Ivy League Gronk, uh, which is fine. He 
has tremendous hands in what you can find of him. He really attacks the football. He's great yards after the catch. He can take a short pass and go. He can go up and get it. He, you know, he's technically, the, I don't know why he was listed as a receiver. He does all these things at a tight end would do. He's going to be a slot guy. Maybe they'll use him as an H-back, but it just seems, un, I, I don't know if that's even a smart move with him. Just put him in space and let him be a terror. I mean, he's so big that he's an athletic mismatch. And the reason they will line up Barnage and Duvall on the same side where one of those guys may end up getting covered by a corner, that's a win. Or if one of them gets a safety on him or a linebacker isolated on him, that's exactly what you want to have happen. Uh, you know, with Barnage, he's the only guy. They've got Tell, Randall Telford in the draft of last year. They've got Connor Hamlet they got on the practice squad at the end of last year. Neither of these guys were Hugh Jack. can't make the roster. It's just... When you look at the guys they brought in, none of them can play in line other than Gary Barnage. And certainly none of them are proven they can play in line sort of Gary Barnage. And Gary Barnage is a miserable run blocker in line, so that's not really a great scenario for him. So in that scenario, that would point to the spread even more. Because if Barnage goes down, it's a short set of ball who's too short to play in line and too light to play in line. E.J. Bibbs, who's too short. He's heavy enough. He doesn't have the length. And then you've got uh, Randall Telfer, who, who's unproven. Hamlet, I mentioned, unproven. Big guy, but unproven. So you've got all these guys that don't really fit as far as a traditional tight end, but they're a pain in the ass when it comes to trying to man up in space or you know creating those mismatches. You know, So whether they want to try to move some guys into the backfield, I know Hugh Jackson loves motion and all these other things to try to create some matchups. I could see where that would happen, but from that standpoint, it certainly looks like the Volves, whether it's the Volves, Bibbs, and Barnes to a certain standpoint, they just want guys who are just going to be a mismatch or some potential difficulty for, for guys, especially in this division that doesn't have a lot of those linebackers that are good for it, guys that are just yeah. tough to, to man up with. combined with those receivers with so much speed on the outside. I mean, it's, you know, so much of this is going to, so much of this is about space and, and having Coleman and, and Hick and uh, Lewis on the outside, be able to really test people deep and having these guys who can press people in the slot or give them mismatches. And the whole thing seems to set up to where they want, you know, five, five offensive linemen versus maybe five or you know six, maybe seven guys in the box versus Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell. And then the secret weapon, allegedly, Terrell Watson, that's a matchup that the Browns are trying to create and would love to have. I mean, Duke Johnson, at his best, was in space, particularly right. as a receiver. And my big frustrations last year, and we talked about it at one point, I think one of the Seattle game was, why didn't we just spread it out and, and see if we couldn't take right. those guys out of the box and we couldn't win up the middle? Duke Johnson's perfect for that. So these all suggest that we're looking at, at more of a spread uh, offensive look, which could be great for guys like Duke Johnson and Crowell if he can stop stepping on his own feet and those type of things. There's, not, there's a lot to like about it, at least on paper. Now it all uh, has to, you know, actually work. Uh, and you know, and especially with the questions on the offensive line, it's it's curious to see how it'll actually play out. Well, and it's like I'm saying, I think it's at least as much on Hugh and on the offensive coaching staff to get the ball out of the hand of the quarterback, and that'll be interesting to see. But you know what it also kind of triggers to me, 
Pete, is you look around the division and you can't help but notice that Pittsburgh and Baltimore, at least in particular, have had some pretty serious deficiencies in the secondary of late. And you can sort of look at the at the linebacking cores and think, man, some of these teams are going to have a hard time covering a fast, spread-out team. And, you know, one would imagine that Hugh Jackson had looked around that division and noticed that. Now, you look at Cincinnati, and to me, that's a more interesting squad, at least right at this very moment, um, from a defensive standpoint and how they tend to handle things. But nevertheless, you got to think that part of what has happened here is that Jackson, being familiar with the division, looked around and go, okay, here's where I can make some you know some inroads immediately if I pick the right players and so that'll be it'll be fun to see how they're deployed and let's let's finish up on the offensive side of the ball with a couple of more picks um, guys that may or may not play a role this year I agree with you I think Kessler is there to be the third string guy this year and a developmental prospect and they'll see where he is in a year if he has to play this year they've done something wrong that's or or, or he's the greatest third round pick of all time one of those two things uh, and then Sean Coleman, who I know is going to get at least a look at the right tackle position. I, to me, I'm really okay with the offensive line other than the uncertainty at right tackle. I just don't know what we're going to get. I, have, I really do have enough faith that Cam Irving is going to be okay at center. I'm, I'm fine with however they slap the guards together. And I guess I don't expect unless they do what we talked about a month or two ago and move – uh, Batonio out to right tackle, then I'm going to be super confident, no matter who it is, about the right tackle going in. Tell me about your your thoughts on roles for those two guys. Well, Sean Coleman, uh, obviously, has a unique situation, so he's older than, than a lot of guys coming out. Uh, 24, he'll turn 25 during the season. He's actually, I think, barely older than Alvin Bailey. He's been in the league for years. Um, but on tape, you know, I know a lot of offensive line guys like Charles Bentley love him. Uh, love the way he plays, love his attitude. Uh, acknowledge the fact he's got to get better with his ankle flexibility, has to get better at being able to, to improve his leverage and pad level because he's doing a lot of digging guys out with, with basically like trying to pull him up with his upper body. He can't really get behind his pads too well. But he's very strong, very quick. He just doesn't have a ton of experience. And adding the fact that you're going to have him try to move the right tackle Certainly, he appears to be the favorite. I think Alvin Bailey at some point is going to get kicked inside of that guard competition. Uh, I'm not. I I fully expect I'm going to be loud wrong on this, and they probably still love Greco. I'm very curious to see how he's going to fit in a more gap style offense when it comes to blocking. He didn't do very well in that part of it. He's always been a much more suited to his own game, which I don't think they're going to run a ton of with Hugh Jackson. So that's interesting. I hate I, – I keep crushing this kid, and I hope he makes me look very stupid and wrong. I don't understand Spencer Drango. I know the PFF grade is great. I know he didn't get him up a sack his senior year or whatever. But you watch him on tape, they get the ball out so fast at Bailey. Bailey has a chance to give up a sack. And then when he went up against anybody worth something, like if you want to get scared, go watch uh, the bowl game from 2014 against uh, – against Michigan State, Shalit Calhoun. Yeah, I actually he's pulled a, that up. I saw that. It's bad. <laughs> and to his, but, but to the his defense, is, but Calhoun, made a, Calhoun made a lot of people look bad, but I agree with you on Drango. But the problem is, like, people are, like, talking about how Drango could kick inside the guard, but nothing about the way he plays suggests he can kick inside. He's not – he's really top-heavy. He has a difficult time bending. He has a – 
He, he doesn't show much power. He's not a guy who really moves people off the ball when he runs blocks. Most of the time at Baylor, it's more of a step in the way and shield type way of blocking as opposed to manning up. Uh, it's, it's just very difficult. So to me, I think his best shot is to, to make the team as a swing tackle. Uh, and I'm not convinced he's going to make the team at all, but we'll see. Like I said, I hope you proved me wrong. I just, when I watch the tape, I, like, there's a lot you, when you read the press clippings, he sounds really good. When you watch him play, you get sort of concerned with what you see. Um, so I, you know, obviously he's still not completely healthy, but Sean Coleman seems like the guy they really want to win that job. Uh, it'd be really disappointing if, if he's, you know, unable to make that switch. Drago's got the same problem, though, is that he's a full-time left tackle who occasionally would sub-package over there to right tackle, but he's certainly not used to it. So you've got two guys who've never really played right tackle, which gets to this whole thing of how big of a job how Hunter's got this year in that he's got uh, Joe Thomas and Joe Batonio on the left side, and then it's Cam Irving, who's supposedly in shape but has to learn how to play. Hopefully he's been doing some of that on his own at center, and then you've got this big question of right tackle, and then, you know, to me, a somewhat of a question of right guard, that's a lot of questions up front uh, for a team that had uh, a lot of success in that unit before, and, and, you know, there's no question that this team's only going to go as far as the offensive line can take it, even if you get rid of the ball quickly, which helps, uh, but especially if you're running spread, you don't have extra guys in there to block too much. You may have a running back, maybe you keep an H-back in the backfield to sort of help. But for the most part, it's, it's five on it's five guys up there and that's what they've got to get the job done. So that's certainly a lot of pressure and a lot of, uh, prove, prove it, uh, in, in the fire type deal. So let's hopefully they've got to, I hope for their sake, they have a plan that they've basically gone from day one with, especially that right side and figuring out how they want to get these guys acclimated and ready to go. And so much of it's going to be, getting them comfortable and getting them confident more than anything else. And flipping over to the other side of the ball, let's again, staying on the lines there, obviously with the, the, the round two pick to lead off round two, they took Emmanuel Ogba out of uh, Oklahoma state defensive end. They took Carl Nassib with the next pick, which was number 65 defensive end out of Penn state. Although I gather uh, at least sort of from my film view of him and then also from a few of the comments that they've made early on here that they intend to, I don't know if defensive end is going to be all that accurate with NASA, but I get the sense that he's going to be sort of an inside guy on certain pass downs. Um, but I, I generally liked the energy of both guys. I thought both guys, neither one, and this is probably where I'm just totally wrong, neither struck me as a freak athlete, but there were some moments from Ogba where he did some things that were awfully devastating to the other side. And it, it's just, to me, a matter of can he learn to do them more consistently and more effectively? Ogba is a disgusting athletic specimen. And the problem is he doesn't know what he's doing. and doesn't really have a plan. So at times it looks like he's really unathletic. But when it came down to testing, he basically tested better than Alden Smith did. Like, He's that type of freak. Uh, wow. No, I didn't realize that. I knew, he, I knew he tested well, you know, especially relative to this class, but I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's, it's, he beat Alden Smith across the board. Uh, it's, it's the stuff that matters. He's that size. He's got the weight on him. You're like he's, he's the type of guy where if they can get him to figure it out, he's scary. So 
But like you said, you watch him on tape and there's times you're scratching your head because he just doesn't know what he's doing. He'll just stop or he just looks like he's thinking too much and not processing quickly. But when he finally lets it loose and it looks like he's got somewhat of a plan, like he's scary. He he hurts hurt, hurt some people. He can really get after the quarterback, which is great. I mean, for a guy who had no clue, and I can't emphasize this enough, no clue he had 13 sacks. So, you know, as far as a baseline skill set to work with, 13 sacks from a guy without a clue is certainly a place to start. My feeling is he's going to play that elephant rush position from last year. If you want to go with that, they call it the elephant now. He's basically going to be behind Paul Kruger, and he's going to do nothing but come in and rush the passer. Whether he's standing up or his hands on the ground, that's all he's going to do, and that's all he should do. Just let him figure out how to be a pass rusher and find out that he can do that. If he can just do that, I don't care about the rest of the stuff, but at least you can ease him in for that. But for now, just figure out a way to let him just fire off the ball and get after it. Don't think, don't worry about anything else. Just come off and attack. So, you know, I my guy Chris Jones was sitting there. I'd love to take him. But I love the idea of taking Ogba. But as you see with a lot of these guys, it's a lot of the coaching staff has to really step up and, and make these guys work because so many of them are so raw, incredible athletes, but very raw. And then Nassib, I love Nassib. I just didn't think he was going to be on the, on the bronze radar because he just wasn't the size that, uh, that Ray Horton tends to prefer. Uh, they're going to beef him up 10 to 15 pounds. He's got to play that five technique, which is perfect. Um, that would put him around 290 pounds. He is a good athlete, kind of bendy. Uh, I, I, the most best com- comparison I can come up with is he's a younger Ryan Denny for anyone who even remembers Ryan Denny, which is a good athlete, uh, hopefully more productive. He is going to, you know, Desmond Bly, we needed a five. We, we needed a five badly. And we, we, we appear to have that. He's going to, Rotate with Desmond Bryant, which is fine. He's got to learn how to sort of two-gap more. He did a little bit. Uh, occasionally showed showed some ability at the senior bowl in that regard. He gets after it. Uh, but it's certainly going to be an adjustment as far as being a run defender. But certainly you have to like the fact that he can pass rush from that defensive end position. He's, he obviously made a lot, of, uh, a lot of his plays going outside and really being able to turn the corner. But he's not afraid to go inside either. He's he can be really good. Hopefully with added strength, he can really sort of crash the the line a little bit and get after it. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting adjustment, but they really need him to work because I have a feeling this is going to be Des Bryant's last year here, and we're going to need another five next year, and they're going to need Nassib to be that guy. They love his mentality. As with all these guys, they're going to talk about how they all had to go over hardship and all these walk-ons and, and all this other stuff, which is great. He knows how to work hard. He, he, has a great motor. As does Ogba, he just needs to realize he's always playing. So there's a lot to like there. Uh, athletically, you dress two big spots that could, going forward, be very valuable players. But yeah, I, I could. I was thrilled to get Nassib, thrilled to get a five. It just surprised me that they went him sort of against uh, Horton's, Horton's uh, history, but at the same time, it could, it could be really good. Nice. Good. Well, that was encouraging. I'm, I, you know, they've they've long needed to 
um, to thicken up that defensive line group just generally. You know, to me, it's one of the truisms about the NFL that you need to have a solid front rotation, and it can't just be the starting three or four, quote-unquote. You need to have six. You need to have guys that you can rotate in and out. I look at the, the franchise that, to me, does those things the best. Uh, well, or at least has done it really well for a long time. The Giants have always done it. Green Bay, by and large, has done it. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, those teams have rotations. And I, I think there's a lot to that. Philadelphia is another one that comes to mind. And I'm, I'm hopeful that that's what the Browns are trying to build there. And obviously they went out and got, I think, the two most productive quarterback sackers in all of college football last year, if memory serves. So there's something to that. And as you say with Ogba, especially a guy who has no idea what he's doing, getting 13 sacks is something you got to be excited about. How about uh, the, in the middle couple of rounds there, they got Schobert, the linebacker out of Wisconsin, who I assume has to be a Pete Smith special, and also Derek Kindred out of TCU. As a guy I've not studied really at all, what do you know about those two guys? And then trickle us down. I don't know anything about Trey Caldwell. I know a lot about Scooby Wright, and if they can get, even get him on the field, I just he's one of those guys where he's more a football player than anything else, and I don't know if he'll be healthy enough. But if he's healthy enough... I am, I am certain that guy can play in the NFL. I love Joe Schobert. I never understood why he was rated so lowly by so many people. He's a good athlete, stupid productive. His best two games were the best two games Iowa played, or uh, Wisconsin played. He played Iowa, he played Alabama. And he dominated in both those games, uh, racking up a ton of sacks, big tackles. He, I mean, he dominated Iowa in particular from an off-ball off linebacker position is really impressive. Um, he's got experience as a pass rusher. I really like him to move inside, although the Browns seem to be fighting this idea because the Browns need inside linebackers in a bad way, and I think he makes a lot more sense there. He played sort of a Sam Edge player, Wisconsin. Uh, he very good in terms of running guys down, has some speed, very quick in particular. The big frustration you get with Schobert is, as productive as he was, he actually leaves a lot of tackles on the field. Uh, if he can you know, stop diving at guys and stop falling off some of these tackles, he actually would have had that many more plays for a guy who really did well. Um, he's, I guess the Browns are saying Chris Tabor wanted him in a bad way because he's a good special teams player, and he is. He even uh, recovered a, a blocked kick in the senior bowl and returned it for a touchdown. I, I think he's a guy who's, and I guess Jerry Pluto's already hinted at this. He's already sort of convinced. Even just looking at OTAs, they, they, you know, the the thought is that he's he's going to be one of the rookies who can actually contribute. I love him behind uh, Chris Kirksey at that will. The Browns seem to still be talking about him as an outside backer, and it just doesn't make a ton of sense for to me with the guys they have. I mean, you can do some outside linebacker things, but if, use him in the in the middle as an A-gap blitzer. I mean, he's a terrific blitzer. Uh, great timing. Really knows how to take on contact. Uh, he's a bulldog. Gets in there. He's not afraid. Like, if you're talking about a, a guy Horton should like on the interior, he, wants, he targeted guys that love to attack forward or always coming downhill. He's a guy who can do that. Schobert's okay in coverage. Didn't do a ton of it because they rush him so much. But he's got some ability there. But his production's off the charts. Uh, Scooby Wright is a horrible, horrible athlete. I can't stress this enough. I hope that he is not healthy at the time he tested and he is getting healthier 
Because if you look at that, he was bad as far as an athlete goes. However, he is a tremendously instinctive football player. And he basically, the best way I can describe it, he played Mike Singletary's role in Arizona's defense. They played a 3-3 stack, uh, and he was only responsible basically A-gap to A-gap. And all he did was he was coming downhill almost before the snap goes. He was going to yep. go mix it up and his to go find the football. And his 2014 was one of the great seasons I've ever seen by a college linebacker. It's He won every, every national defensive award except one that year. But even then, you look at him, you're going, man, he's not very fast. He's not very quick. But, again, if you limit his role – you can see where it works. Again, I hope he's getting helpful. I hope it's going to get better. The problem I have with Scooby Wright is the people who assume he can play special teams. I don't understand how a guy that slow and that unathletic is going to help you in coverage units where the idea is to run down really fast to get the other guy. That's, that's where I have a tough time with this pick. You know, I get it in the seventh round. It was a flyer. Yeah, if I you can get him on the field, the great. But, but the people who are like, well, you get rid of Tank Carter – I mean, I'm hoping that's what Schobert does. But, I mean, if you're saying that Scooby Wright is, is going to help you on special teams, my feeling is he has to show that he can play inside linebacker because I don't know if he's a viable option at any other position, which makes it sort of a difficult route for him to go to make the team. Um, the, the corner, he's a nickel guy. I mean, that's really all there is with him. I don't know much about him, although he will tackle. He'll come up and hit. Uh, he's not afraid in that regard, which is always good. It's it's you basically get down to a numbers game with that position, and I don't know how many of these guys are making make the team, but uh, obviously they've got some of these guys who I'm not. You know, they got last year like Charles Gaines. I don't know if he's really safe, so maybe Trey Caldwell can do stuff. He's another guy who played special teams that always helps him. Uh, and then Derek Kindred. The only thing anyone seems to know about him is that he played with a broken shoulder last year. Two weeks later, the, the Browns website still pimping the idea that this guy played with a broken shoulder blade. I get it. Now, when you actually go and watch the tape, he is rangy. He's got some ability in man coverage. He can come up and play in the slot. Uh, he played free safety, really only in name only. Both like TCU and uh, Northwestern the year before played the same basic defense where they basically play a cover two. And Abraham Campbell was technically a free safety that just meant they didn't have a guy yeah, in front see, of him. That's but the same thing the I, was, I, I noticed is that he reminded me kind of from a defensive, from what he was asked to do, he did a lot of the same stuff Campbell did. Absolutely. Now, the difference is that, that Kindred um, is a horrible tackler in terms of technique, and that's where Abraham Campbell is really good. Kindred looks like Robert Griffith. Or, or Dante Whitner most recently in the amount of diving and launching and trying to desperately wrap out, wrap up. And I know some of that is a product of playing in the Big 12 where it's just you, you get caught in space and you just please God go down type deal. I get it. But he's got to get a lot better in that respect. Uh, but he's athletic. He's pretty productive. I think he has better hands than Campbell. I think he's got better ball skills, which is helpful. But to me... And he's there because he didn't have another strong safety behind Campbell, and he's the natural fit to go behind there. The only thing that surprised me with this is I thought Horton would go with more of a box safety, and granted, this guy can move up and play in that, but he's a, he, they basically took the most Ibrahim Campbell-like safety in this class, 
which is kind of cool to me that they've got two guys that are going to sort of play the same role. Like, yes, he showed a lot of toughness this past year. Uh, he he did a lot of things, you know, that, that are remarkable when you consider playing injured, that he played injured. But you can find tape if you YouTube just TCU defense uh, or TCU uh, football, and you'll find games on YouTube, the whole game. It's not a fun way to watch clips. But you see him do a lot of stuff, even when he's healthy from last year, that's intriguing. But, again, the big thing with him is got to become a better tackler. Uh, got to be, got to keep your feet under you when you're a tackler. But certainly an interesting pick. Um, again, getting back to athletic testing and, and production, he was more athletic and more productive than uh, the than uh, the kid. Atlanta took 17th overall from Florida. Uh, so I mean, again, the, if you get into that sort of that type of analytics, if you want to call it that, it's certainly a nice value pick for them. Uh, I, you know, I like I like what he can do. I just think people need to pump the brakes a little bit as far as what they what they expect out of him early. He needs to learn what he's doing, and he's another guy who's going to have to come up big on special teams, which is important. So, I mean, it was a need pick. It was a good pick. I think they, it was a smart pick. And like I said, I mean, I didn't like that kid from Florida all that much. Uh, I'm surprised he went as early as he did. Yeah, so, so to get a guy – the you know the fourth round that that may you know at least you can argue is better is is certainly something I'm not gonna is not gonna complain about I, I'm not you know Keanu Neal's fine maybe he'll be great I didn't like Atlanta's draft really at all anyway but so if you're talking about value and, and, and making smart picks I think they did a great job with that one I had some quibbles on day three in general but you know a lot of the stuff they did actually made quite a bit of sense. I just called him Lorenzo Neal. I'm glad you corrected it. Keanu Neal, Lorenzo Neal being a fullback of more my vintage. But at any rate, there you have it. A wide canvassing of the Browns' rather deep and luxurious draft selections. We'll we'll have Pete back again uh, probably within a week or two, and we'll start talking about the battles that are going to come into camp. Pete, thanks so much for joining me, man. I appreciate it. You got it. (laughs) 